This is Raw Cut. G'day and welcome to another episode of Life Bursts. I'm Matt. And I'm Sarah. And today we're talking to a lady who, before you try and guess what her accent is, it's English here on Life Bursts. Today we are chatting with Pippa, who does have an English accent. Yes. Yes, 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 she does. Yes. I guess I do. <laughs> yes, that's right. So I was asking because, you know, sometimes when you hear people and they're talking and it's a different accent, you spend most of the time thinking, now where is that from? What? What is that? Uh, so I just wanted to answer it straight away. But you'd be Everybody. surprised how many people mm. think I've got a South African accent. Okay. Well, right. of course, Pippa, you don't think you have an accent, do you? It's just how you speak. <laughs> so tell us where life started out for you. Okay. Well, I was born in St. Brenda's Nursing Home in Bristol, in England, and I don't remember very much about that. Okay. Understandable. Well, yes. <laughs> I do remember from the time I was two. Yeah. Right. I have a few memories from that. Yeah, time. or two years old. What was life like? Yeah. Well, life was a bit strange then because um, when they broke up roads, they didn't have drills and things. They had these huge stones which they dropped. And I remember being in my pushchair one day and we crossed the road to get into our house and at the top of the hill was, was this great big thing that broke up the road. And I had to put my fingers in my ears and close my eyes and I could feel myself going down the step, cross the road, up the step, down the driveway, and then I knew that I could um, open my eyes again and unblock my ears oh, because it was so frightening, this noise. <laughs> okay. I had no idea, or I probably just didn't think about it, that that's how they used to break up roads. Yeah, they did. And also um, the other thing that I did when I was two is I went to the butchers and I knew that there were ducks around the corner in a house, in a garden, and uh, so I waited until Mum was busy with the butcher, got out of my pushchair, and slipped out of the shop and round the corner and down the road to look for the ducks. Okay. And a lady started talking to me and um, apparently my mother was going crazy. Um, mm. And eventually they reunited me with my with my mum. So th- that's what I remember from my <laughs> earliest early memories. Yeah. <laughs> Did you have siblings around you in your early years? Uh, no. My sister was born um, four years and ten months after me, Judy. Yep. Okay. That was it. And that was it. We didn't have any more mm. in okay. the family. And what other memories of childhood do you remember after, you know, after those, those early after those years? those incidents? Um, not a lot. I remember my dad was in the army and I remember that he had to stay on, I think he was in Italy, um, mop, uh, mopping up operations after the war. Yeah. So I didn't see him till I was two. But I, actually, I remember that very, very, very clearly. Um, because we came around the side of the stairs and we walked towards the front door, which had stained glass in it. And I had a little Union Jack and my mother was carrying me. And I said, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And he took me over. And then we went into the kitchen and my dad had two fried eggs on toast and I sat down on the floor next to him and I went through my nursery rhyme book and I read all my nursery rhymes to him. (laughs) Well, I'd memorised them. Yeah, Yeah. a vivid memory. Yeah. Um, Mum was very keen on theatre and dance, which is probably where, you know, I got it from. And, um, but she was a chronic asthmatic, so she couldn't actually do it as a career. But she was in many shows when she was young. 
and um, she was on stage at the Hippodrome, and I that would have been I would love to have been on stage in the Bristol Hippodrome, which is really magnificent, and other theatres in Bristol. She never missed a show, but in between times there were times when she would bite for every single breath. Mm. She took me from a very early age to the pantomime and to ballets. And apparently I always used to cry afterwards and ask if we could come back tomorrow. And I thought that there was only one thing that anybody could ever wish to do, and that was to be on stage and act. That was the only career in my eyes. Yeah. So did you uh, find ways to, as a child, learn that craft? And yes. Get involved um, very quickly? Um, at school, I, well, I, <laughs> I went to um, a kindergarten from the age of about, I think I was three. I went in the mornings. And then when I was four, I went in the afternoons as well. And I remember that first day because I wasn't very happy to stay there all day and I cried. And then somebody said, but we have stories in the afternoons. And that was great. And then when I left there, I was sent to a school which was next to the prison. And there were a lot of very rough boys at that school. And I was really scared of rough boys. So I was taken out of there and I went back to my little school until I was six. I think they only took people up to six. And I went to a private girls school. And um, I did quite a lot of drama there. I um, always, my mum taught dancing, although she couldn't actually do it herself as a performer Mm -hmm. because of the asthma. Uh, she taught dancing, and so I started to learn at the age of two. I started dancing, and then at seven, I started the piano. And then while I was at school, I, I used to mess around quite a lot, didn't really pay any attention. And then we had this wonderful teacher with dyed blonde hair and perfume and makeup, and she wore these colourful stoles. And, of course, I listened to every word, and suddenly I had marks in the 90s. And then, um, because my parents couldn't afford for me to do drama, I was given drama as a prize for doing so well. So I started speech and drama. Mm. And um, with Edward Stanley, who was also a director at the Bristol Old Vic. So I was very, very blessed to to have those opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So mm. you're still very young and yet still going places. <laughs> was, was there any sort of bad experiences in those times that you thought or maybe this isn't what I'm supposed to do and I'm no, supposed never. to be? My, no, My best friend that I met at school when I was, the girls' school when, I was, when we were nine, mm. we used to put on concerts in the garden and we were both in the school plays and, and all that sort of thing. I never thought about anything else. But um, because I was also an asthmatic, mum and dad suggested that I get something behind me in case it, you know, in case I couldn't go that way. Mm-hmm. And so um, I went to teacher's training college and trained to be a teacher and I got involved in drama there, of course. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and singing. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I was in Dido and Aeneas. And, uh, yeah, I Purcell. And, uh, yeah, I had a good time at college. But, we, again, it was all girls. But I did get married in my... Uh, just before my final term at college, I got married mm-hmm. and to a South African. Yeah. And then I taught for a year in England to get, oh, I studied art and English. They were my main subjects. But we were taught to teach her anything. You know, if you've got to teach something, you go and study and then you teach it. Mm-hmm. So I was teaching soccer and cricket and all kinds of right, things, yeah. as well as the normal things, you know, that teachers teach. 
Um, how did you go with being able to jump around like that and just grab anything that you could? Jump around? Yeah, oh, so, sorry, move, just be thrown into different situations like that, being able to teach Teaching. soccer and everything. Oh, well, I don't know. You just kind of like learned about it and did it. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I had to really do very much that was obscure. Maybe a little soccer, maybe a little cricket. And I did tennis and um, I qualified as a tennis coach as well while I was at, we had that opportunity, which I took up. Mm. You know, I always say that people are either given opportunities in life or they have an ambition or, and a drive. I didn't have the ambition and the drive. I was too scared for all of that. But right throughout my life, I've had opportunities that have come my way in the most extraordinary ways sometimes. And um, I've taken them up. And I think all this learning and grounding um, that I had during my childhood and college days came together in what was to happen next. Right. And so you've obviously got married, as you just shared. Married, taught for a year in England, and then got on a ship and went out to South Africa. Um, We stopped in at Cape Town on the way. And uh, in fact, I remember that we were all told to get up early because coming into Table Bay, there's Table Mountain. Oh, I had a teacher at school who said she was born on top of Table Mountain. Oh, there you go. Right, I know. Um, (laughs) And I never, ever realised that I'd be going and living there just about my whole working life one day. Yeah. Um, Wow. Okay, we'll take a break in this (laughs) moment. We're already going on such a journey. This is Life Burst with Matt and Sarah chatting with Pippa. We'll be back after this. If you like what you're hearing, please write a review of this podcast on your podcasting app, or you can share this on social media. You're joining us on Life Burst. We're chatting to Pippa. And Pippa, you ended up in South Africa from England and yes. plenty of adventures there. Yes, I did. Um, from Cape Town, um, we went on past PE up to East London, which is where my husband's family lived and um, stayed there for the first five weeks and then went back to Cape Town. Okay. What was the biggest change that you had to go through with moving from a place that you'd always been to and lived in in oh. England and then over to Cape Town? Well, I was very excited about it. Mm-hmm. That That's all I can say, really. And then mm-hmm. things started to happen very quickly. Um we were having a drink at the local hotspot, Clifton Beach Hotel. I think that was Second Beach, looking out over the sea and the beaches. And somebody came over and said, would you be interested in doing some photographic modelling? So I said, oh, yeah, that would be lovely. So that was a photographer who was perhaps the top photographer at the time in Cape Town, who'd been sitting there having a drink with his secretary called Stephanie. I even remember that. And um, so I I started doing some modelling and then I joined a modelling school, which somebody else had suggested I do. And I started modelling and I travelled all over the country doing photographic work, doing shows. And in those days we did dancing shows as well. So it was quite theatrical. and my husband allowed me to do it. He said he married a teacher, not an actress, so he didn't want me to go down that path. <laughs> so I was quite happy modelling and uh, travelling. And What is that world like of modelling and travelling? Well, in those around? days it was fantastic. You know, we were like a great big happy family. Yeah. 
And I remember one time they wanted me to do this show in Johannesburg and my husband didn't want me to go because his cousin was getting married <clears throat> the day after. And so my boss said, well, we'll get you back, you know. And I said, well, I can be back in time for the reception. He said, no, I want you there for the service. So I said, oh, anyway, I ended up going. And it was really quite funny because I, because of commitments, I could only be there in time for the show. And we had a thunderstorm on the way up on the plane. And they'd all gone ahead of me. And thunder and lightning and everything. And there I was with wigs, a wig head in between my knees, styling wigs for the show. And then I was picked up at the airport, taken off to the venue. And I arrived at interval. She said she could manage the first half without me. And then I did the second half of the show. I mean, it's crazy. How crazy is that? Yeah, that's very <laughs> And then I, I was in tears that evening because um, I said, I'm not going to be back in time and my husband's going to be cross with me. So they chartered a flight. Wow. They chartered a flight for me to fly back early. And we had some turbulence on the way. And we actually arrived at the same time as the Boeing carrying all the other models. Oh. It was extraordinary. <laughs> And uh, also during that time, they entered me into a competition, mm -hmm. um, which I ended up winning. And my prize was a trip with the South African rally team to Monte Carlo. Right. So I had that whole experience as well. And we went to Paris on the way and they took photographs of me and I had to write an article, which was in the papers in Cape Town. And it was very exciting. Gee, a lot of... I had a fantastic... Fantastic time. A lot of doors open. And everybody was very nice. We were taught not to be bitchy or catty and to be very, very kind with each other and not to, apparently, um, models used to do things like sticking lipstick uh, with needles. Oh. I mean, isn't that awful of, really? of other models? No, we were, we were really, we were kept very much in control, mm. our behaviour and everything. Yeah. What was that trip? Uh, what was involved in that trip? Which one? Uh, Monte. Oh, the Monte Carlo. Oh, well, we went along, we went to Paris first and then we went down to Monte Carlo and we stayed in a hotel and we joined the teams at various points, mm -hmm. you know, in the snow, going around bends, whatever. And uh, I can't remember an awful lot about it except I was, I suppose I was some kind of mascotty type thing. And... I, the papers in Cape Town were carrying this story of me having won this competition and um, going off with, with the team. Mm -hmm. uh, it was very strange. And you came back and what did life look like? Uh, then I came back and I got involved. What happened next? I'm trying to think. I think it was Story Spinners, which was a team of friends. No, I was in a play. Okay. I started Amateur Dramatics, that's right. And I was in a play and somebody came along who'd written a play called The Chess Mistress. And apparently I fitted the bill of the title role. Yeah. So that's actually what started my theatre career. Yeah. And I, and I played in, in The Chess Mistress. And the wife of the person who'd written the play was starting up a group touring schools. Mm -hmm. So I started um, doing an educational trip around schools with three other girls and I started songwriting at that time. And a theatre manager came along and to take photographs. He was a photographer and a theatre manager mm -hmm. and a director. And then he decided that, you know, he could use me in his plays, in his theatre. And this was the Space Theatre, 
where, oh, they, we were fighting the apartheid system at the time. And um, he was involved with bringing people of all cultures and races into theatre. And there were lots of rules and regulations at the time, but gradually he seemed to be able to get round him. Anyway, that was the, the setup that I joined. And my husband allowed me to do that because um, Brian, the name of the photographer, Brian Astbury, who actually was working in London until recently when he died, um, was, a, was a great guy. And I did quite a few shows there at the Space Theatre, which is very well known in South Africa for what it gave during that time. So what is that time that you're talking about? You've just briefly run over it, but for people watching and listening that might not know anything about that. Well, I was just was in that? plays. I mean, we, it was mainly comedies. Oh, the apartheid. Apartheid. Apartheid, yeah. Oh, the, the, the apartheid side? Yeah. Oh, I see, yes. Well, um, South Africa had this system where um, we were separated from each other. So you had the white people living together in various areas and you had the coloured people living together in various areas. And the, the idea behind this was that people could develop amongst their own cultures. But of course, it wasn't right. It doesn't work like that. That's not how we're supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And of course, it all fell apart, didn't it? And there were lots of riots and things like that, um, which brings me on to the next thing because I then started teaching drama in our little area mm -hmm. and I started going to church in our little local area and the church was connected with the church in the so-called coloured area. Mm -hmm. South Africa is a rainbow nation. You have the black tribes of which there are many. You have the coloured people which are a mixture of the, where the black and the white people have intermarried. And then you had the Indian people and you had the Malay people. Mm -hmm. So it really is as Desmond Tutu, Bishop Desmond Tutu, which many people will have heard of because he was wonderful during the changeover. Um, he described it as a rainbow nation. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, I was getting to, yes, I started this drama group um, in this area near near where I lived, uh, with white children initially. I had a son by then who was probably about two years old and three years old maybe. I started this drama group and um, because the church was involved in the coloured and the white area, we used to go across there for various services and things and try to bring about reconciliation, um, intermingling, getting to know people, to be real with one another. And while I was there one day, somebody said to me, oh, I hear you um, teach, teach drama. Why don't you come and teach our kids up here? They just built a new church which had a stage. It was also used for sport and all kinds of things. It was an all-purpose building. So I said, okay, when would you like me to come? They said, well, when can you come? I said, well, tomorrow. So I went back the next day and there were 98 children waiting for me. So I stood on the stage <laughs> and I did a lesson with 98 children. Wow. Okay. We'll be back straight after this to hear what happened next here on Life Birth with Matt and Sarah. <laughs> hey, did you know this show is available in video too? You can find it at rawcut.com.au. 
Life Bounce with Matt and Sarah. Pippa, you're standing up in front of 98 school students yes. mm. in the coloured area of yes. South Africa, as you've um, called it. Yes. What happened? The following week, I mean, obviously there were those who came out of curiosity. The following yeah. week, I had 68. Mm-hmm. So I divided them into two groups, mm-hmm. um, the teenagers and those, uh, I had them from seven up. Yeah. And um, we did lots of shows. They watched each other. I was also carrying on with my, my theatrical career, doing shows and traveling all over the place, all over South Africa with that, and still doing a bit of modeling. Mm-hmm. So I was actually very busy at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, one day uh, with the schools program, um, somebody did an article on me for the national newspaper, national Sunday newspaper. Mm-hmm. And there was a huge, great big picture of me with my guitar and saying that I was doing this this work with children. And the result of it was that somebody from SATV, which was very new at the time, contacted me and said, oh, I see you do programs for children. Hmm. Do Can you do something for TikTok time? Now, TikTok time was um, a Sunday school type program every Sunday and um, with you know, with children and a presenter and so on. And I said, should be able to do that. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, we, we'd have to do it with the white white children because, you know, TV is all white at the moment, but hopefully we'll be able to move beyond that one day. And actually the person that phoned me was a relative by marriage. So I knew her. So everybody was totally fine with you going into this church space and teaching these yeah, Colored absolutely. Kids. And what they used oh, okay. to do, I, I, they, I'd do shows with both groups, both groups, and then they would go and watch each other's shows so mm-hmm. that they were getting to know each other. Mm. Yeah. And even when there was stone throwing, um, my kids, my white kids, were supposed to go and watch my colour kids doing a show. And I said, well, what are we going to do? So the parents said, take them. So I said, okay, everybody, when we go, when we enter the bottom of the, the road here and go up the hill, you just duck down if you see any suspicious activity. And we went up and we went to the kids and we watched watched the kids and everybody admired us for that because mm. we were brave or mm. stupid, I don't know. Um, and one of my kids, I mean, one of my kids ended up in jail in the police station and um, I went around and talked to him through the grid. And now, what have you been up to? How could you do this? Why? What's the point? Where's it going to get you? Uh, anyway, we had a great time together. Um, but, yes, with the TV programmes, mm. Wendy said we can do... Two programs with the white children and two programs with the coloured children. Now, my first instinct, of course, was, but why can't we do it all together? Mm. But then I thought, no, these coloured children have never, ever had a, well, coloured people have never had a program of their own before. It's all white. We're going to be a first. Mm -hmm. And she had to get permission for this. Mm -hmm. So um, when these kids were due together the very next day that I had this letter, these bunches of kids were due to get together for their first integrated drama session. Mm-hmm. So, of course, they all smiled at each other and sat next to each other in their own little groups. And I said, I've got a surprise for you. And I read this letter to them. And they were just united by their enthusiasm and their excitement. Mm. So we chose what we were going to do. They were Bible stories and activities and so on and songs. And I presented them and they watched each other practice and rehearse and so we did that we did those four programs which went on fine 
And then the next time we were asked to do a little series, so I said, okay, we can do that, but um, we've got to have all the kids together this time because I've been working with them all together. Mm. So Wendy said, okay, I'll have to ask permission because, mm. you know. Mm. So she went all the way through the ranks until she got to the top person, a Mr. Skitter, and she got a telegram back with one word on it, no. Wow. So anyway, I had this thought. And uh, I said to these kids, I said, you know, the programs we're doing, because they were all together by this time. Mm. I said, the programs that we'll be doing are Noah's Ark. We're doing creation. We're doing Noah's Ark. And we're doing a program on pollution. I said, there are a lot of characters in that that are, well, I've lost a word. Molly is not real characters, you know. Oh, gosh. Anyway. Yeah. But I said, I tell you what we can do. You know, this wonderful makeup man that we had for our first series, we'll get him back. We'll get him to make everybody up so nobody will be able to tell To what the colour of your skin. Okay. And it was really Maybe. funny because the opening thing was creation mm -hmm. and, uh, and it was black and white and the kids had their faces like this. And they all wore black and had torches. But the faces were black, black, white, white. Uh -huh. And um, we had this wonderful makeup. But first of all, I had to put the idea before Wendy. Yeah. And she said, look, just do it. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll look ask, at the consequences afterwards. <laughs> so we rehearsed and we did these three programs. And the next we heard was that they had to go through before a panel of judges um, to be approved. And um, so... The day came for them to be shown and the panel were called away unexpectedly and couldn't view the, the uh, programs and they went through unapproved. Then <laughs> the backlash. Mm. We had people far right saying, how could you possibly bring, bring these two races together and allow them to appear together? And we had the other side saying, how could you possibly disguise the fact Anyway, we weathered that storm. Mm. And then when we did the next series, it was all open, apartheid had fallen, and we were all merrily uh, together. Yeah. But one thing I must say is that I got very involved with my kids. Um, we became very close, and I had a lot of them stay with me. And we had lots of parties at our house. So we were a very mixed-race household, even though we were supposedly supposed to be living we could visit living in different areas i had kids staying with me you know and then a short while ago when i went back i think 2008 or nine or something like that i went back to south africa and they had a reunion for me and they they're all grown up now with their own kids they brought their kids along and they got on the stage and they performed songs from when they were kids that they'd done all that time ago. Mm. It was so moving. And I was able to show them the recordings mm -hmm. that we'd done of yeah. them so they could their children could watch them yeah. at that stage. Yeah. That was amazing. But that is very amazing. Mm, that last series, that was a, something that had to happen mm. and the work was finished. Mm. I carried on with the children. I did something that toured and we went to various churches in groups and did things together. And um, Bishop Festo Kavendere came to South Africa to preach and Africa Enterprise had seen us on television doing something. So we were invited to go to the Cape Town 
City Hall and performed there with him. And it was so strange because I'd got a book of his mm -hmm. a couple of years before, Bishop Vestok of Andrea, which was entitled I Love Idi Amin. And so I took that book and he signed it for me. That special. Yeah. And it was all, all about love overcoming. Mm. Yeah. Wow. So what else during that time of that Imparte happening? Did you ever feel that your life was in danger or anything? You shared some stories of kids having to duck down and, like, that's crazy stuff. I know, it's crazy stuff. But I don't know. When you live there, you just go about your business. You do the things that you do every day. I had my kids sitting in the back of the car singing anti-white songs. I said, look, this is enough. If you want me to take you here, there and everywhere, because I did. Um, I don't need those songs. Thank you very much. It was really very funny. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll be back with more Life Bursts straight after this with Matt and Sarah chatting with Pippa. In Australia, juvenile arthritis affects one in 1,000 children. It's a silent yet common condition. Kids Arthritis is here to help support these children and their families. To help them, go to kidsarthritis.org. This has been a Raw Cut Community Service Announcement. We're chatting with Pippa on today's show with Matt and Sarah. This is Life Bursts. Pippa, there's some more sort of theatrical yeah. side of you in that um, story. Yeah. <laughs> I was baptised um, fully immersed mm -hmm. as an adult. And they were supposed to put me in in the evening with the adults, but for some reason they put me in in the morning with the kids. Right. Yeah. So um, all the kids went in and then I went in and I, I was surrounded by kids and I came out of the water and I thought, this is, this is right, this is it. My whole life has been kids, working with kids, involved with kids one mm. way or another. And um, that, that then reminded me of the fact that um, during my theatrical career, mm -hmm. four of us got together and formed the Story Spinning Theatre. Right. And we did musicals, which we wrote. I wrote the music and the lyrics, mm -hmm. and my partner wrote the scripts. And children came during the school term to the theatre because it was a whole thing about bringing children into the theatre mm -hmm. rather than going to the schools, which I'd been involved with previously. Mm -hmm. And um, so that was that was a whole whole new thing. Um, of working with children and very much part of what I'd felt when I came out of the water. Here I was back working for children, adults for children, but still children were involved. Yeah. And um, I did a lot of, of, of writing, as I said, during that time. And eventually I was writing scripts as well as the music and the lyrics. And when I look back, that all, like, it was the um, childhood things that I learnt, the music, the dance, the drama. The English at college was my main subject, and later I taught English to foreign people. But that all came back and was all used in this children's um, company. Mm. And we used to write it from a adult perspective as well. So there were a lot of jokes and things in there that only adults would understand because we also did shows during the holiday times and parents bring their children along, don't they? Mm -hmm. So it's got to be for the parents as well. Mm -hmm. And um, and the songs, of course, were fairly 
mature, not little kiddie songs, but yeah. And we did all the famous, um, uh, well-known fairy tales. It was quite Eurocentric, actually, but we did do local stuff as well, local stories, wrote music around those as well. So I guess I wrote written us between two hundred and three hundred songs in oh, all. That's incredible. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And that seemed to work quite well. And then when I was uh, doing one of my tours with a comedy um, on the Wild Coast in South Africa. What's the Wild Coast? The Wild Coast is just over the border um, from South Africa, just over the border, um, where there was a casino because there was no gambling allowed in South Africa. So people would go over the border and do their gambling there. But in order, King Edward was the place where it was. (laughs) Okay, right. But um, in order to to have the gambling allowed, they also had to provide other entertainment. And they had dance shows. And um, I was involved in a few comedies there. And we lived up there for six to eight weeks and we did these these comedies at the the venue. And... um, while I was there, I heard that um, a director was looking for somebody to play Mary Magdalene in a word-for-word version of the NIV version of the Bible, word-for-word. Yeah. And they were looking for Mary Magdalene. And I should really go and audition because that was just up my street. So I said, oh, you know, I can't really do that because after this show, I'm going to go back to my to England because my very favourite aunt is, I think, going to be dying soon, and I want to see her before she goes. Mm. I was extremely close to this lady, mm-hmm. so um, I didn't do anything about auditioning. And when I got back to Cape Town, it somehow came back to me again. My agent phoned me and said, "Look, can you go? They still haven't filled Mary Magdalene." And I was doing a show in Cape Town at the time. Oh, I said, but you know, uh, I can't be there because I don't have a Jewish nose. I have a retrousse nose. It's the wrong nose. So they already laughed. And then one of the guys said, um, who was in the show, we were doing Pinocchio, um, the guy who was playing Geppetto, he said, funny, I wondered why I bought this nose putty with me today. Mm-hmm. And do you know what he did? He built up my nose. Can you believe it? Wow. It's a crazy thing. With nose putty. With nose putty. What does that feel like? Weird. Okay. <laughs> I drove through laughing. I was laughing and driving and going like this because it wasn't a very brilliant job. <laughs> and I went back for my second interview, organised by me. Yeah. And I went in and I said, look, I don't have a, I don't have a, uh, a Jewish nose, but this is what Joey's done. So he laughed and he, was, he actually told me later that he was embarrassed because it wasn't something that he could really cope with. And he knew, knowing my personality, that it wasn't something that I would normally do. So he said, oh, I'm going to have to have another think. Because I'd already had an interview with him and he said, yes, but no, I'm not sure what I'm looking for. And he said that the space is still there and there were photographs for every character. Mm-hmm. And no, none for Mary Magdalene. So I said, okay. I said, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to embarrass you, but it was just something that happened at the theatre today <laughs> after the show. <laughs> and um, so I drove back home. I took this off and I drove back home. And I had to go to the shops. I was like this. And I said, Lord, I said, if this is going to happen for me, I need a parking place right in the front row outside the shops. And the, park, the park, car park was absolutely chock-a-block. So I drove down the aisle and there was a parking place 
right in front of the entrance of the shops. So I screamed. <laughs> and then I went and did my shopping. And then when I got home, there was a message on my answering machine. And it was my agent who very calmly said, would you give me a ring, please? And so I gave her a ring and she said, you're going to Morocco next week. So I screamed in her ear as well. And so that's how I became Mary Magdalene. And I went to Morocco and we did a few weeks there. That was amazing. Amazing thing, the people, the extras, the people that were the extras, how they hosted us mm. and how the... Um, the second AD, which was the guy that worked with the director. You know, the first morning of shooting, the director got together and he said, we are doing something that is very close to my heart with the, um, the uh, Moroccan crew who are Muslims. And he said, if you don't mind, I would like to pray to the God of, um, what did he say? Jacob and Joseph, the God of Abraham. He said, I would like to pray for the, to the God of Abraham, if that's all right with you. And so, you know, it was like a, a Christian prayer meeting. Everybody was raised hands and, and he was um, giving the prayer, the director. Somebody else was translating and all the Muslims were agreeing and nodding. And when Rechel got to the end of it, um, one of the Muslims started um, praying as well. And that got relayed back to us. It was phenomenal. Mm. Wow. That's really and we fun. were sitting at the table one day with the um, second AD, which I mentioned, and he said, what is it that's different? He said, this is so different from the American teams that come work here. And he would see Rechart doing things that would be perhaps the gopher's job and everybody just mixing in and doing things together. And then we lost a whole can of film one day because the guy that unloaded it let it slip and it all fell out. And we had to redo it. And everybody looked at the director and he said, some of us make, he said, we all make mistakes. Some of us make small mistakes <laughs> and some of us make big mistakes. <laughs> wow. And we had to redo the whole day. Yeah, gee. I know, it was quite, quite expensive, that. But, um, yeah, that was, that was a fantastic experience. Yeah, what an experience. Mm. And, and the extras invited us around for meals and we would sit there with them. And Bruce, who was the artistic director, played the guitar and he's an artist and, as well and he would uh, sing Christian songs and they bang on various things, and it was just amazing, the hospitality of those Moroccan people. Lovely. Well, even, even more lovely than actually playing Mary Magdalene, but then I did go into what must have happened to her and mm. what her life must have been like and all the rest of it. Yeah, yeah. That was the most amazing experience. And we, did, we carried on filming in Cape Town. Bruce Marciano, who played Jesus, came out from America because we wanted it to go outside of South Africa. Mm -hmm. And you, you'll still find it in the shops here in Kurong. Okay. Yeah. What's it called? Well, it's, ah, oh, I can't remember. I think oh, it's just called Matthew at the moment because okay. we did Matthew and the idea was to do every single book of the Bible, word for word, NIV. Yeah. Um, but then the Americans took over because they were the ones with the money. And then Acts was done. Mm -hmm. And after that, yeah, my son was in Acts. Actually, my son, um, from a small child, he was actually, he actually did some modelling and he was also involved in theatre with me. And um, he at one bug. stage, yeah. he did. <laughs> and at one stage it was, was he going to be a teacher or was he going to be an actor? Okay. And he's a teacher and um, he's head of science at Pembroke. And that's where I'm staying at the moment with him and my three grandkids. Amazing. Well, there's, there's more story to tell. <laughs> uh, so we, are, we are chatting to uh, Pippa. 
and uh, we're going to come back right after this on Life Burst with more. If you think more people should listen to this, share this podcast on social media. On Life Burst with Sarah and Matt, we are chatting to Pippa. Pippa, you've done such a lot of creative things in your time. Um, lots of people have seen you, uh, your expressions of creativity, uh, motherhood, all those things you've shared. Uh, somehow you've ended up in Australia uh, through all of that as well. Um, you mentioned that's uh, a link to your, your son. Um, tell us about journeying here. Journeying here. Well, I came every year for three months from about the turn of the century. And when my son played Jesus in the rock, um, I came over especially for that. So that was an extra trip. The music, I don't know whether you know that. Was it, what do they call it now? Uh, it was Paradise, but it's got a new name. The church. Oh, oh influencer. The influencer. Yes, oh, he played Jesus. Oh, yeah. he, he was there okay. at one time and he played Jesus. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I... I I taught English for a while as well to, to um, foreign students in South Africa and um, then various things happened and then in 2012 my mum wasn't too well so my husband and I agreed that I should go and help my sister to look after her and so I went back to England August 2012 and um, lived a rather nomadic lifestyle in that I was spending time with mum and then I was going off to South Africa and then I was going off to Australia and I was taking my husband to Australia and taking my husband to England and and so on. So we were doing a lot of mm. doing and throwing mm. for, mm. for many years. Um, and uh, then my mother died and I stayed on in England because from the time I went back, I had to have operations. I was in hospital so much. And it was just the, the, just the timing and the planning of the whole thing was amazing. I went back in the August and I had to have my gallbladder out. Is that a, okay? Yeah. I had to have my gallbladder out in uh, December. <laughs> yeah. so I was in hospital then. And then um, I was in for a mystery illness for three weeks. Hmm. And they couldn't work out what was wrong at all. And um, that was quite an interesting time. And then I was in hospital again at some stage for another part to be taken out, my appendix. And uh, so I, I had to be in England for um, 183 days a year. Mm -hmm. That's half a year plus a day okay. in order to have the national health. Then my eye started going funny with glaucoma. So I've had three operations in this eye. So I was kind of like attached to England Quite a lot mm. <laughs> during those years mm -hmm. and um, I have been living this nomadic existence mm. ever since really and I wasn't going to come in February last year because there was a bit of a there was an upset there were things happening here so um, I didn't book any ticket and then in January things changed and I was able to come and so I got a last minute trip and it was a, a triangle trip it was um, here, South Africa, UK. Well, I got as far as here, and then everything was cancelled. Mm, COVID mm -hmm. hit. COVID hit. And I've been here ever since. I had a six-month bridging visa after my tourist visa expired. I then had another six-month bridging visa. And then I was given a three-month 
bridging visa and my normal immigration lady wasn't available on the day I was supposed to have the interview and I had somebody else and she said well I think you should actually go and get a job and go back with another airline or fill in your papers for your parent visa mm. um, you've got a lot of work to do in the next three months and this visa expires on the 9th of August so I'm going to have to I mean things are all stirred up again aren't yeah. they here and there so I think I will see if I can and get another visa extension on the e-visa, which is, enables me, I can actually work on that, on the Bridging Visa E, whereas if I go for the Bridging Visa A, then I am more limited to being here. If I want to go, I have to get a Bridging Visa B to be able to go out of the country to come back and sort out, sort out affairs and then come back. Um, but I think we're going to be filling in all those papers just in case I, you know, I'm turned down well, the bridging visa that I'm on now. But my son doesn't want me to go back into the, the COVID situation there. And they've opened up in Britain, even though they're getting so something like 42,000 cases. I don't know whether it's a day or a week. I'm losing Sounds track. Like recording, yeah. Yes. That's and right. of course, here, it's just so sad. And now Australia, we go into lockdown. Yeah, it's complex. So in southern Australia, we go in. Mm, mm. Mm. Wow. So uh, this is, well, the story hasn't ended yet. There's still plenty more. <laughs> To live, but uh, yeah. but here you are, and it's uh, well, we're, we're blessed to have you here in mm. in Australia, and uh, well, you've been able to share some of your story today. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Mission, mm. you've uh, you wrote down that you oh, want to yes, talk about yes, mission. Yes, we still got South some Africa. time to do that. Yes, my husband and I, we went um, to the Eastern Cape quite a lot on mission. Um, we supported a oh, there's a photograph I have to send you. We we supported a. Um, a football team in a little village who'd never been outside of this little village. Wow. And there was a big tournament on the coast. And so we sent this team out to the coast. They'd never been out of the village. They'd never seen the sea before. I have got the most delightful photograph of these young guys experiencing the beach and the sea for the very first time. Mm. It's beautiful. And the first time, we, we, you know, we didn't think that they were going to manage uh, playing against these teams that were so used to playing because they'd been playing on a bumpy field and with tennis balls as a soccer ball until we managed to find them some soccer balls and then they broke and great big bumps and some twigs for a goalpost. And the first time they went, they came second. And the second time they went, they came first in a penalty yeah. shootout. Isn't that wonderful? That is wonderful. And the chief at the time, I went up there on one of the trips. The chief at the time was a lady and I spent some time with her, but she sadly not with... Well, no, no, she had to retire because of illness. So her grandson has taken over. So things are not quite the same as they were with this lady when she was the chief. Mm -hmm. And there's still been mission trips. You know, there was one to New Bethesda. Um, my husband has been to New Bethesda recently on a mission trip. Um but I'm back in the UK and I'm I'm doing stuff for the church here. Um, in the UK, my church is all very young people, so the young people do everything. But here I've been very blessed and very encouraged and been doing a bit of drama, wrote a couple of songs for the introduction to Esther, which we did with people from the church and doing a few split readings and things like that, um, teaching Sunday school and writing a song with the children at the moment for them to sing in church. So I've been able to do some of those things again. Yeah, sounds which I like thought it, were gone forever. Yeah, not not none of all that experience is wasted. <laughs> yeah. it, yeah. Now, I'm a housewife now at home again. Well, that's important. <laughs> I look too. after the household yeah. and the kids. 
looking back at all those things you've done and experienced, if you uh, could speak to our listeners, wherever they are, or those who are watching, what advice might you give them uh, today? Well, I don't know. I think take up opportunities when they come your way Mm. because you might lose out otherwise. And I must say this, pray, because prayers do get answered in the most extraordinary ways, very often not the way that you would imagine, but in some other amazing, extraordinarily wonderful way. And that's been my life experience. Fantastic. Oh, thank you for thank sharing you. that. Uh, okay. Like you said, the opportunities presented themselves to you in your life and you've grabbed hold of them. And yeah, that's great advice. You've lived it yourself. So mm-hmm. thank you for coming and sharing with us today. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. Yeah. Thank you so much, River. You can catch up with Life Burst wherever you get your podcast from. Or you can watch us on YouTube or Facebook and, of course, community television and radio. You can listen to us as well. This has been Life Bursts. I'm Sarah. And I'm Matt. Thank you so much for joining us. Life Bursts is hosted by Matthew Karat and Sarah Freeman with production by Reese Jarrett and Kay Hoshraw Ozadigan. For more episodes of Life Bursts, go to rawcut.com.au. This is a Raw Cut production.